Welcome to the One Church Home podcast. This podcast is directly tied to our weekly teachings. If OCH isn't your home church, we encourage you to get plugged into your local body. We pray the sermon blesses you as we press into the Word of God together. So, diving right in, we have been in a study of the book of Ephesians, and we've said from the get, it is so important that as we dive into book studies, one, it's important that we do them, but two, it's important that we understand how to rightly divide the word of truth. That's part of being in the body of Christ, that that we can't just take any Bible verse out of context and put it on a nice little background and post it and think that it has rich meaning because a letter out of context is not accurate. You know, I gave this example and I, I don't know how to just feather it in, but you know, if, if I'm writing letters to somebody, if I'm writing letters to my wife and all of a sudden I drop that love letter in someone's office that's not my wife, it's gonna misunderstand the context, right? Like, we don't have to dig into that too much. It's gonna get weird fast. But for some reason, we've become okay with not rightly dividing the word of truth. And when that happens, it allows us to build theologies and biblical worldviews that are not accurate. Therefore, oftentimes depicting a God who isn't God at all, maybe an idol that we've created with our false doctrine. And so I, I believe if we had to really boil down what's happening with the kind of the modern church, this church that wants to just kind of say things that are nice to hear, but aren't necessarily rooted in the word. If we, if we, if we root it down to what's really the problem, it's a lack of fear of God first that manifests itself in a lack of, of biblical literacy. And when you have those two things combined, you're going to have a weak and dying church. And welcome to America. And so we believe it's very important to go, what does the Bible actually say and what does it mean? What does this mean for us? And and is it applicable for where we are today? And let me just be really clear. If you've missed the last couple weeks, the book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul to the church, to the saints at Ephesus. That cultural climate was precisely the same kind of cultural climate we find ourselves in today as the saints of God. Therefore, we can rightly deduce that this letter to the Ephesians can be a word to the church of one church home here today. Because the, the, the city of Ephesus was a, it was a merchant center. It was a place of business and commerce. And yet it was also a place of blended worship. The, the goddess Diane was the, was the kind of the head honcho there, the, you know, all kinds of pagan worship. And what was happening and why Paul was writing is he was writing to bring some barriers and protection. You see, lots of Paul's writings are written to correct bad behavior. They're written to say, hey, you guys are doing this thing. You know, you're doing the cha-cha slide in worship. Cut that out. You know, like he, he was writing to kind of shape them and their behavior. But that's not what this is about. See, this is the most formal of Paul's writings. It's written about 10 years after Paul spends two years in the city of Ephesus. 
And it's when he's imprisoned in Rome. And as he's imprisoned in Rome, he's likely stirred up to say, hey, I want to bring some, make sure there's some barriers of protection around a church that I love, a church that I care for, a church that I helped birth, and a church that I, I, I have massive love and respect for. And I'm afraid because where they are and what's going on around them, that they might fall prey to, to like so many others, they might start letting these, these non-Christian, non-godly practices seep into the body of Christ, therefore changing it and reshaping it and making it nothing of the sort. Does that make sense? And so he writes this almost a treatise, this formal letter to, to the body of Christ at the church of Ephesus. And I believe it transcends to the body of Christ right here in America today to say, listen, I, wanna, I want you to understand something. I want you to know what it means to be Christian. Well, what does it mean to, be, to follow Jesus and to know him? I, I want you to understand who you are in the first three chapters. And then in the second three, he wants you to know what you've been called and how you've been called to behave and live your life. And so, so, the, so the apostle Paul is writing this letter of, of, of barrier around the body of Christ to say, hey, nothing gets in here. This is an impenetrable wall that we cannot allow mystic guru-y stuff to come into. And, and you know, it's like, well, I thought we were supposed to be like inclusive and stuff. It's like, no. <laughs> we're not. We're supposed to be Christian. And so we look to this word and we hear this word. And, and if you'll remember last week, I told you that he, he starts, we kind of, he starts with this incredible sentence, almost like a doxology of sorts, by saying, blessed be God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. And then he goes on for 14 verses, 13 verses, explaining what these blessings are. Again, really quickly, if you missed, here's the, here's the six that we kind of broke down. It says this, that one, you're chosen by God, meaning you're adopted and predestined. And though you might think so, I can't solve that one today. But take away from it that you, no matter what you've come from, no matter what last night looked like, no matter what the argument on the way in this morning sounded like, you were chosen by God. And no matter what your week ahead of you looks like, just let that sink in. You're chosen by God. It said that you've been given this glorious grace. You've been empowered by God. You've been redeemed by God. And that you've been revealed the mysteries of God's will. You're in the inner circle of God's family. So much so that you've been given an inheritance by God. And number six, we're not going to get into this today, but verse 14, it says that you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. That means you're secured by God. Amen, somebody? So today I want to dig into Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Because what happens is he starts by introducing himself. He starts by telling us who the letter is to. He goes on to, to say this huge run-on sentence about what the blessings we have inherited and how that should reform the way we, we even think about who we are. And then he does this kind of peculiar thing. 
he breaks into a prayer in writing. Now, think about that. You know, we... You know, I'm requesting prayer for an unspoken prayer request on Facebook. It's like we just write praying. I'm, I'm guilty of that. I said all the time. He actually writes out this apostolic prayer for the body of Christ, for you, the chosen ones of God. He, he writes this prayer of, of encouragement and a prayer that really changes everything. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. It says this, therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention for you in my prayers. Here we go. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, at his right hand in heavenly places, far above principality and power, and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over the things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You see, two times in this letter, Paul is going to articulate out, draft out a prayer he's praying for the church, for the body. He prays in the end of chapter one and at the end of chapter three. And I wanna make quick note before we talk about the prayer, what attributes Paul is celebrating within the body. As much as I love our new facility, he did not say, I've heard of the facility which you're building on Highway 96. He didn't say, I heard of your incredible, unbroken church attendance at one church home. He he didn't say anything about a lot of the things our churches tend to celebrate. What did he talk about? What did he say? I have heard of your faith in Jesus and your love for all the saints. It's because of that, it's it's that which motivates me and drives me to pray this way for you. And so, beloved, as we think about the future, as we think, you know, it's hard to imagine this, but as a young church, we we still want to think about how do we want to be known? What do I want us to be known for? I want us to be known for our faith in Jesus and our love for the body of Christ. Why? Because it is those two things that draw blessing in the body. And so we, while we need to do all things well, while we need to do all kinds of, you know, we're going to have an incredible kids ministry, incredible youth ministry, incredible this ministry, that ministry, and all the ministries. We need to have faith in Jesus and love one another more than all, all things. And so that's a, that's a massive start. 
But he goes on in this prayer. Essentially, he breaks down three things that I want us to grab a hold of as the body today. Three things that he starts praying for. He says, because of your faith in Jesus, because of your love for one another, I go to the Lord and I'm asking for these things. That's, that's, that should be things that we then go, all right, I wanna pray for that for our body. I, I wanna receive that as the body of Christ. What is it that he starts to unravel here? What does he start to talk about? Well, the first two are connected. It says that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And then he says that your eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. See, church, I believe today in the culture we live, this is why we need to be going to church. This is why we need to be going to to, to Nights of Truth. This is why we need to be going to, to church on Sunday, to church on Wednesday, to small group, because we need to be reminded in this day and age, in this present evil age, that we need eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit of God would bear witness to us about what's really going on. We get so caught up in the natural that we forget that we're actually living and from a supernatural place. That, that, That God didn't put us here to just observe what's going on. I mean, it's, I heard somebody the other day tell me, they're like, I just feel like I can't even watch the news anymore. I went, you're just getting that? You've been watching that, thinking that was a good idea? It's like, guys, at some point, we got to get our eyes up and go, what we see in the natural is not what's happening in the supernatural. That we need wisdom and revelation in this era, in this time, as the body of Christ, we need to have eyes to see and be enlightened in him. We need to understand and discern the times in which we live. What does that mean? It means we can't put our head in the sand and go, la, 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 I'm going to heaven. It means that we need to be looking around, observing what's happening and discerning through wisdom and revelation from God and then having eyes to see what's really there. Why? Because oftentimes we we sense and feel like we're losing I don't know about you guys, but there's just not a lot of times I look around, especially when you turn on the news and go, you know what? I feel like righteousness is prevailing in America. I just got a good feeling that we're headed in the right direction. No, what do you feel? You feel beat. You feel like you're losing. You feel like, is this even real? Is God really with us? Because it sure seems like nothing's happening and it's just getting worse. It seems like everywhere I look, it's it's more perversion, it's more brokenness and I'm being called a, a liar for saying what's true and the people that are saying what's lies are being said, are being promoted for saying true things. It's like, what's happening? This is madness. Literally crazy town. And, and yet, 
As a Christian, we're, we look at that and, and everything the enemy wants you to do is to cower back, put your head in the sand, bunker up and just hide out till, the, till, till that day comes. But let me be clear with you. We don't lose. Let me take you to a familiar story in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8 through 18. It's a word that we need in the church today. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel. He consulted with his servants. He said, my camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel saying, beware that you do not pass this place for the Syrians are coming down there. And the king of Israel went, someone, the king of Israel sent someone to the place in which the man of God had told him. And thus he warned him. He was watchful there, not just once or twice. Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this, this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, will you not show me which one of us is for the king of Israel? And one of the servants said, none, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And it was told to him, saying, surely he's in Dothan. And therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and they surrounded the city. It was certainly bleak. When the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, for his coffee, perhaps, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, he's terrified, he's shaken, he's afraid. What shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Watch this prayer right here. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray that you open his eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And so when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed that the Lord would strike this people. I pray with blindness. He struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Let me be abundantly clear. As you look to the, to the flabbergasted, crazy town of culture, as you perceive what is coming against the body of Christ, as you interpret the times in which you're living, be not dismayed because he who is with us is greater than he who is in the world. <laughs> that as we perceive these things and look at these things, you can't let the natural dictate the supernatural. You, you can't look at these things as the body of Christ and cower back in fear and, and start building, you know, bunkers around you so that the body, so, so that the people of the world can't touch the people in the body. The man of God's servant, Elisha's servant, his, his, his assistant walks out on the porch and goes, oh my God. This is bad. 
We're all surrounded. There's no way out. There's nothing about this scenario that he had faith for. But Elisha, the man of God, the prophet saw it. He interpreted it. He had wisdom and revelation from God for it. And then he had eyes to see what was really going on. He's saying, hey, I have victory over this. So much so that he walks down to an army. Again, he knows there's a supernatural army, chariots of fire all around him. But he walks out there in the natural and he says, God, blind him. Boom, the whole army's blinded. And he goes, hey, take off. He's actually down the road. He sends him down the road. A whole army. Now, beloved, I, I don't know about you, but that's functioning in a supernatural power that I don't even think about on a daily basis. I, I don't know about you, but I just, I don't often turn on the news and go blind them all, send them down the road. <laughs> like, but yet that's the, that's the power that Elijah is walking in. It's the power that he goes on and prays at the end. He says, hey, you want to touch the power, you need to have wisdom and revelation from God and eyes to see what's really going on. Because when we start realizing and appropriating the promises and the power of God in our life, anything is possible. Even though we might not see it, we might not understand it, we might not be able to comprehend it, wisdom from heaven will give you the ability to do things and see things and operate in things you've never even considered before. Why? Because it's not wisdom of you, it's wisdom of God. So, he, so, so that's a prayer we need to be praying every single day, every day before we get out of our, 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 our bed even. God, give me wisdom and revelation to understand the times in which I'm living and eyes to see what's really going on. And then what's the next part of his prayer? That you may know the hope of his calling on your life. That's the riches of the glory of our inheritance. Beloved, let me be really clear. If you think the only people that are called in the church are like the people on stage, you're mistaken. Because you live and are in the body of Christ, covered by the blood, and you've said yes to Jesus, he calls us by name. He calls us to live a life of, of, of fruitfulness. He's, he's called you to something great. And it's crazy. Because how many of us as Christians feel defeated, shameful and broken, walking around, beat up, worn out, and ready to be done? If I had to be honest, I'd say it's most. Again, because we've been watching without wisdom and revelation and eyes to see, we've interpreted that we've somehow started losing. We've lost sight of the fact that for 50 years, people prayed that a, a law would be abolished in our land. It got abolished and we're still going, well, God, God is gonna kill that. And we get to see it. And, and like, we're gonna see a, a scenario where all of a sudden that, that ends and we get to walk into that and yet we, we still walk around as though we're kind of broken. Why? I heard an insane statistic this week. Today, if money wasn't an issue, listen to what I'm about to tell you. If money was not a problem, if money wasn't the driving force, 42% of pastors in America 
told this uh, Barna group that they would take a, a new career immediately if they could. 42% of American pastors said that they would quit today if they could afford it. Think about that. Yo, what happens if half the pastors in our country stop? You think it's bad now? So what's the deal with that? What's the problem with that? It means that half the pastors are so defeated, feel like they're losing. They would just quit. Something like 70% of pastors do quit in the first five years of ministry. That's been a known thing for a long time. Might be more than that. Because they get beat up and they feel like it's a lost cause. If the leadership of the church is that run down, what's the quality of the people like? Hopelessness seems to be a fitting word for the modern church. It's let all kinds of doctrine and belief and emotionalism and wokeness and whatever other thoughts creep in has made a mess of the body of Christ. And Paul is reminding us that the fence we need to put up and not let roots be taken here is that there is hope in your calling. The fact that you were called by God is that which drives hope to stay in the fight, not finance. And so as pastors and as leaders, and then as, as just followers of Jesus, we've got to be able, like, listen, he's saying, the things you need right now to, to, to experience power is you need wisdom and revelation from God, eyes to see, and you need the hope of God in your calling. You need to remember you were called to this moment. That you didn't come here because of money. You didn't show up to this church because there was some cool, comfortable chair. You didn't show up in the body of Christ because you had X, Y, and Z laid out for you. You were called to this moment. So that should give you hope that eternally and forever, God could have put you at any time in history and he chose for you to show up on the scene right here, right now, because he needs you in this place. And don't get me wrong, you know, what does God have need of? But he chose to put you in this place because you're called. Listen to what Peter says about calling. 2 Peter 1.10, it says, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. See, church, we are called to be diligent about our calling, to, to, to make known to ourselves, to remind ourselves why we're here and what we're here to do. That, that you're not just here to be an attender, you're here to be a functioning member of the body of Christ. That God has appointed you the leader over your family, in your marriage, in your workplace. He has put you there for a purpose and a call of God is, is resting upon you. And so no matter how bleak it feels or no matter what the, what the world seems to be coming against us with, we are called here, so we're gonna be faithful here. And, and as we look at, at a world that's gone mad, at a world that's full of chaos and, 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 and crazy town, 
we're able to stand in the, in the presence of opposition and say, because I'm called, I'm going to be faithful. You never said it was going to be easy. You never promised it to be, to be perfect. But I want to rest and make my calling sure because Peter says this, that when I make my election, my call of God in my life sure, when I'm reminding myself of what my call is and who I'm called to be and what I'm called to do, that I can then, the promise attached to that is I'll never stumble. Again, it's the power that Paul is talking about at the end of this prayer. Now, some of you are listening to him going, never stumble? I stumbled on the way in this morning. It's a marching term. And it means that you'll never fall out of formation of the ranks in such a way as to not return. You want to walk in the will and ways of God for your life. You want to walk in power, in the power, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. Then then get wisdom and revelation from heaven. Seek revelation and wisdom from God himself because he's willing to reveal to you the mysteries of his will. And then ask him for eyes to see how to interpret what's really going on here, how to discern, how to see what's happening in the supernatural right here in the natural. And then make your calling sure in your life. Remind yourself what you're called to do and who you're called to be. Because as you do that, you will be able to operate and function in a way that will keep you from ever stumbling. And then you will receive, right, an abundant Entrance into the kingdom. That should give you hope. That should fill you with hope. Matthew 24, 12 and 13 says, because lawlessness will abound, the love of God, the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end will be saved. That's a tough one. Gets you a little nervous. What is he saying there? It's what Peter's saying. He's affirming what Peter's saying. He's going, listen, it's affirming what Paul's saying. You want to have hope? You want to know that you're, you're sure? Then remind yourself who you're called to be. Let that fill you with hope. Let that fill you with confidence. Let that fill you with, with a, an awareness of who you are and what you're made for, that no matter what's happening around you, you're called here. God puts you here. You're here not on accident, but on purpose. God didn't give you a family on accident. God didn't give you a, a wife on accident. God didn't give you, put you in this church on accident. You're here. So stand tall and make your election and call confident and sure so that you might never stumble, so that you might endure, so that you might have hope forever, no matter what's happening around us. And then he goes on and says, what is this exceeding greatness of his power? You see, all of this, beloved, as he goes, as he says, hey, find your, I want you, I'm praying for wisdom and revelation from heaven. I'm praying for eyes to see. I'm praying that you would have confidence in the calling of God on your life so that you might experience the exceeding greatness of his power. And he goes on to talk about who Jesus is, what he's done, and that same power that is in him. And that's where the manifestation of power really is. 
as he wraps up this prayer for the church, he says, you know how to do all this? How you can stand in confidence that it's possible, that you can endure, that you will make it through, and that you will function not just as a survivor, but as someone who thrives in the kingdom? that you can overcome all things, that you can stand for righteousness in a world of immorality. You know how all this is is possible. It's because of the immeasurable greatness of his power that is given to those who believe. That when you said yes to Jesus, you walked into an inheritance that you didn't even realize. So many of us maybe just said yes to Jesus because we were terrified of going to hell someday. But he says, I want to give you power today. I want to give you power to operate and function and and participate in the world as my ambassadors because they need to see what Jesus looks like and I'm going to send them to you. That's a great call of God on our life. You see, you might be asking, Pastor, what is my call? I know yours is to be the pastor. What's my call? Your call is to show the world what Jesus looks like through everything you do. Your job is to be a Christian a little Christ. You see, he didn't put himself in a museum somewhere so people could come and and see him in a mausoleum. He came and he gave the world a living testimony of a bunch of people that are broken that are following a perfect God. That when they mess up, they can confess it, they can reveal it, and they can live in community together with unity and love and peace and power to do things they never thought they could do, to be a people they've been called to be, to show the world who Jesus really is. So church, walk out of here today with some confidence that you are called and that you have a direct line to receive wisdom and revelation from heaven and you have this unique ability to access the power of God eternally. That means here and forever. Amen, somebody? So may God bless you and keep you. May his make his face to shine upon you, lift up his countenance to you, and give you peace as you operate and you function in what he's called you to do and who he's called you to be. God bless you guys. Have a fantastic week.